Welcome to Kurosawa Worth Watching, where we're watching a Kurosawa film and then the films that it inspired. Or rather, today we're watching a TV episode that it inspired. I'm your host, and I swear that everything that happened with that gray alien dude was consensual. My co-host is Guy, who believes that reality is whatever you can remember after a night of drunken debauchery. <laughs> Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So, you mentioned previously you hadn't really seen any X-File episodes, or maybe one or two. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a full episode. I saw I saw part of an episode. I don't think I saw the full episode, but I remember it impressed me, but I don't... I, it had something to do with an inbred family and a guy locked in the trunk of a car or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I just never got into the show. I think maybe because by the time I started thinking it might be worth watching i had heard that nothing ever got resolved on it and i didn't really <laughs> figure there was any point to uh spending time on it if nothing was ever going to get resolved so <laughs> well no, i never i think it might be worth us exploring at least to some degree at some point so my story with x-files this is you know decades ago when it was first um on the air I was working at Next, which was Steve Jobs' company before he came back to Apple. Mm -hmm. And people at Next kept saying, oh, you got to watch this show. you got to watch this show. So me and my now ex would watch an episode, and it was really kind of bad. You know? <laughs> and, oh, we're not going to watch that again. And they'd be like, no, no, you know, we go to lunch. Oh, you got to watch it. you got to watch it. It's so incredible. So I think it was literally four times we watched episodes out of peer pressure. Until we saw one that was really good, and then we started watching it. And part of the whole thing, and, and this, the episode we're talking about today, which is Jose Chung's From Outer Space, uh, uh, mm -hmm. story, uh, season three episode, is that there were what the writers call legacy stories. So the, the creator of the series, Chris Carter, he would typically write the legacy ones, and they were actually, I think you would probably like them, but they were these kind of heavy uh, stories about how the aliens had actually come and were taking over the world and all this. And But the episodes that really, really worked for me, and this is an example of it, were the ones that are what we call bottle episodes, right? They're not part of the whole arc of the story. They're just a one-off episode. Some of those were very creative and very funny, and this was really the first one they did like that that really showed them they could do something a little bit different. Uh, the story editor at the time and the writer, also the writer of this episode is Darren Morgan, extremely creative guy. Every episode he wrote of the series was, ju was just always like wacky and weird and, and really fun to watch. And you know, he quit after not too long because he just couldn't keep up with the pace of the show. And, I mean, it's insane, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we, you know, we do Doctor Who and they would do all these episodes a year and burn out the actors. And similarly, I mean, you know, this was the 20th story of the third season. I mean, <laughs> within, you know, this is a couple decades ago. So it was before we kind of got to the kind of streaming stuff we do now where you might have a season of eight episodes. And the thing is, if you have a right. season of eight episodes, you can really put a lot of time into them and think them out and, you know, spend a few weeks filming each one. When you're doing like 24 or more episodes a year, that means you just don't stop. 
you just keep <laughs> going, right? And it just exhausts everybody. And that's kind of American television. It was English yeah. television that had this idea of shorter series and, and everything that we've sort of adopted now that we've gone to streaming. I wanted to mention one thing. Uh, you referred to this as a bottle episode. And while I've heard the term before, I've, I've always thought it meant something slightly different, where a bottle episode was typically something that took place in a limited space to save money. Like, you know, everybody's trapped mm-hmm. in an elevator, you know, so they free up money in the show budget for other episodes. Now, I could be misremembering that or conflating it with something else, but... Uh, well, you're, you're right. That's, that is typically the meaning. I mean, in this case, I'm extending it a bit to say it's a, it's a one-off story, right? It doesn't rely on any other story. It's not part of an arc. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't change anything about the series. Right. But yeah, it's not like it's cheap in this case or anything like that. Yeah, they've got a lot of different sets and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this episode's both a fan and critical favorite. Jillian Anderson, who played Scully, said this kind of episode made the series worth doing. You know, because it's so much hard work that you know occasionally mm-hmm. you need you need to enjoy what you're actually doing. Oh sure. So with that, I guess we will. Dive into Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And the first shot, I'll just say, sets the tone for the show and is amazing. It's a recreation of the first shot in Star Wars A New Hope where there's the giant spaceship going overhead, which is, you know, one of the most famous shots in movie history when that happened in star wars no Mm. one had seen anything like that it just blew everybody away right and so and also the first shot in space balls (laughs) i don't know if you remember that one i you know i still need to watch space balls but i'll take your word for it (laughs) and the thing here that and again it's just such a great representation of the episode is at first you're seeing this giant spaceship go overhead and it looks very impressive and then it gets kind of janky and it's like oh it's not too good of a special effect like it's kind of moving back and forth a little bit and everything <laughs> and then and then it turns out to be the bottom of a basket you know of a guy who is repairing an electrical uh, line, right? So, right, it's the uh, the bucket of a cherry picker. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's 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 a great okay. This is what this episode's going to be like. <laughs> and the electrical technician in the the basket is Rocky, and he's checked all the connections and he can't find any problems. So we then see a car drive by this uh, repair truck, and there's a young man and a woman inside the car, <laughs> and. Uh, the man is telling the woman that he's madly in love with her. And she's like, you know, it's our first date. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> then in typical fashion, when out on a first date in the middle of nowhere, the car suddenly stalls. And if I were the the girl, I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. The car stalled. <laughs> I think this car stalling, uh, I think this is taken from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm. Uh, I think there's an early scene in it where something very similar happens. Right. So a bright light appears and a UFO descends and then there's some kind of, you know, uh, beam comes out of the UFO and then two grays approach the car. And for anyone who doesn't know, especially in the 90s, grays were that kind of typical representation of an alien, the kind of, you know, big head, Mm -hmm. small body, uh, very gray skin. And they were called grays. Yeah, they were... 
They uh, something like them was in Close Encounters, and uh, I think I think in was it Whitley Stryber? He had a series of mm-hmm. books about that were supposedly true and right, tales right. Of yeah, he encounters. was one of the famous UFO guys, right? Yeah. And they come up, the grays come up to the windows of the car, and the guy and the woman inside immediately fall asleep. You know, some kind of thing has put them to sleep. And the grays drag them out of the car, and they're dragging them toward the beam of their spaceship. (laughs) This is just so hilarious. Then another spaceship shows up and beams down a red monster. <laughs> and part of what I love here, of course, is I'm a huge fan of stop motion, as you know, and this monster is done in stop motion, so that's a lot of fun to watch. Ah, well, I have some news for you, buddy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually did some uh, reading about this episode because I wanted to know what, what the hell was going on. And uh, that red monster, it's mm-hmm. actually live action that was filmed at high speed, and then they... Uh, like slowed it down somehow to get a stop motion effect out of it. <laughs> well, you got me there, but that is amusing because, of course, that stop motion thing is supposed to be the low quality thing. So the the idea that they would do it on purpose is pretty funny. <laughs> so this red monster approaches the grays. This is just one of those things about this episode, right? One gray says to the other in standard American slang, "Jack, what is that thing?" <laughs> and the other one says, "How the hell should I know?" then we get the credit sequence and it's a pretty brilliant opening because it's like okay everything here is pretty wacky (laughs) after the credit sequence we're in Mulder's office so for anyone who doesn't know the show Agent Mulder is the guy who believes in you know UFOs and things and is trying to find them and he has this famous poster in his office uh, that says I want to believe so we see that poster yeah uh, but it turns out it's not Mulder right now in his office. It's Scully, and she is with Jose Chung, who is played by Charles Nelson Riley. Now, do you are you familiar with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles Nelson Riley. Well, he he used to do that kind of laugh. On, uh, he was on Match Game. Might have been mm-hmm. Hollywood Squares. Yeah, too. Match Game. Well, he's um, probably on Hollywood Squares too. But Match Game was the big one. Yeah. Yeah, but back in the seventies, yeah, you uh, you saw him everywhere. He probably guest starred on the Love Boat and Fantasy mm-hmm. Island, and you know the whole. Oh yeah, he did all that kind of stuff. And he was well, he started out on Broadway, and he he got pretty famous. He was in multiple very famous Broadway shows, and that's what you know sort of gave him his career. And he was also one of a couple actors in Hollywood when he would do game shows like Match Game or Hollywood Squares, who was gay. But he wasn't, you know, that wasn't a time when you would say that you were gay, but he was willing to allude to it and make jokes about it. And you could pick it up if you mm-hmm. were able to do that. <laughs> so. yeah. I remember he often dressed with a certain flamboyance. He'd have like a, like a cravat or, you know, something, you know, a little bit, uh, a little, little bit uh, showy, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So. And right before he died, he did a movie, a documentary about his life uh, based on a stage show that he did. Really worth watching if you haven't seen it. And I'll just say right up front, I mean, he's a great part of this episode. And, you know, I read up on it and 
everybody on the set loved him. You know, he gave everybody a nickname. He he quickly learned who everyone was and would ask them about their family or whatever. And he was just a really, really good guy. And they all, it was clear, like, mm-hmm. this, again, this is the 20th episode of the third season. They're all, like, tired, you know. And so having someone who sort of really brought a lot of energy, um, they really appreciated it. Oh, sure. Yeah, I could imagine him being a fun person to work with. Well, he's a well-matched game. You know, that was... Mm-hmm. It was a game show, but it was basically humor. I wouldn't be surprised if some of it was scripted before they uh, <laughs> actually played the game. But uh, yeah, I uh, whenever whenever Charles Lawson Riley showed up somewhere, uh, you knew you were probably in for some entertainment. And the other thing I'll say here, just about you know him being a great part of this, is that he is not phoning this in any way, right? I mean, there are a number of actors well, at his age and who are well known who would just come on and kind of do, you know, phone it in and, oh, I'm great, you're going to, you know, I'm well-known, you're just going to do whatever. He doesn't do that at all. He is completely present in this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he doesn't, uh, you know, if you were familiar with his reputation before the show, uh, you might expect him to really ham it up. And, he, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a little bit of unavoidable Charles Nelson Riley-ness <laughs> to him, but... Uh, uh, he definitely uh, he's, he's trying to make it uh, make it believable, and I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I liked his performance. Yeah. So in this, he is a famous fiction author. In fact, one of Scully's favorite authors. Uh, she's a huge fan of his work, and he's now writing a book about the alien abduction that happened in the first scene that we saw. And it's kind of funny because. Scully is like, well, you know, why are you writing this? And ultimately, and you know, um, ultimately, he's like, well, for money. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know, she's fine with it as long as he's reporting the truth. And it's kind of funny. He's like, God, no! How can I possibly do that? <laughs> he explains that everyone has a different version of what happened, which, of course, you know, is our Rashomon concept for for this. Yeah. And so Scully then begins to tell her version of the story. And this girl was found in a car the morning after the abduction, and she's suffering from what her partner Mulder calls missing time. She can't remember what happened. She's been physically abused. Her clothes are on inside out and backwards. But Scully doesn't think she was abducted. Now, since you're not too familiar with the show, that you know the whole deal is Mulder believes in all this stuff, and Scully is the scientist who doesn't believe in any of it. I have picked that up just from pop culture over the years. <laughs> and in the context of the show, it's kind of insane, right? As she sees all these aliens and all these other things, but she's like, oh, no, none of it's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Scully says she wasn't abducted. She was the victim of date rape. Now, I'm going to say maybe it's kind of a 90s thing. She's almost dismissive, like it was just date rape. <laughs> so, hmm. Later that night, the girl, after her physical and a statement was taken, She's in her bed, and she gets what she calls a visitation. (laughs) So at first, she sees a gray alien at the foot of her bed, and she freaks out, but it turns out just to be a doll. And then there's a tap of the window, but instead of an alien, it's that guy that she was on a date with. And he says he's concerned about her. He says he did everything he could. (laughs) Actually, it's kind of funny. He's like, I did everything I could. And she said, I know you did, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) And then her dad starts yelling and turns on some lights, so the boy runs off. Um, But he's later apprehended at his home. 
And he's then telling a cop that they were abducted by aliens. The cop says he doesn't think he sounds very sure about it. And he says, are you willing to take a lie detector test to prove you were abducted by creatures from outer space? (laughs) And now my mandatory statement about polygraphs, you know, polygraphs slash lie detectors are complete bullshit. They don't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) If you're ever told to take one, don't do it. But also get a lawyer and don't be talking to the cops. But okay, that's (laughs) So the boy is willing to take the lie detector test, uh, which is dumb of him. But too bad. The cop says, I don't need no lie detector to tell you this story is BS. <laughs> and this, he's going to be around for a while. This cop's just a real character, right? He uh, says <laughs> stuff like this. But then the boy takes the test and passes it. And he sticks to his story. And Scully says, until Scully and Mulder arrive. And at this point, he's kind of defeated, and he says, if she says I raped her, then I guess I raped her. And I'm just going to say, by the way, this is another kind of thing that innocent people do in in cop situations, right? They get interrogated, and they end up saying stuff like this, and then they go to jail for life. So don't just get a lawyer. Man. Anyway. <laughs> so Mulder then has a conversation with the boy that mirrors the exact conversation with the previous cop. He says all the same things about the story is BS Schroeder. Except, unlike that cop, Mulder is sympathetic with the boy and believes him. And then Mulder asks if the boy is willing to take a lie detector test to prove whether he raped her. And he refuses, so he's being smart now all of a sudden. <laughs> and now we get, again, kind of a 90s thing. You wouldn't really say it today. Mulder says, the next rape you experience will probably be your own in prison. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God, prison <laughs> rape jokes. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't say it on TV. You know, people talking amongst themselves still uh, say things like that. <laughs> so Scully now tells Jose Chung that this should have ended their interrogation, but Mulder then brought the girl in for questioning. And now we have a courtroom-style scene, and I noticed it's like the second time I was watching this. It's actually laid out in the way that Rashomon is, where we're looking at the person testifying and there are other people behind her, which is the way that Rashomon, you know, did it. Ah. And Mulder asks her a bunch of questions about her physical state. And he's like, do you have nosebleeds? You know, when you look at an object, do you receive the sudden flash that you're looking at an alien's face? You know, and all the stuff he asked her, she says yes to you. So it's one of these cases where clearly she's an abductee. And so Mulder tells everyone she's suffering from post-abduction syndrome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Scully, of course, doesn't believe him. So Mulder now convinces the girl to be hypnotized. Again, legally bad idea. Once you've been hypnotized, it screws up your <laughs> the believability of your testimony. Hmm. And and they do to to the credit of the show. Scully and Chung now have Jose Chung now have a debate about hypnosis and whether she whether Scully believes it or not. And she says it's never been proven to enhance memory, and it actually messes it up. And this is actually completely true. And Jose Chung says, well, he's fascinated by how a person's perceptions can be transformed by mere words. Yeah, and him being a writer, you know, he would be interested in uh, using words to their full effect. We now transition back to seeing some guy hypnotizing the girl and saying, you know, you're feeling very sleepy. And the girl, Chrissy, describes herself on the spaceship, and she's suspended in this kind of BDSM suit. (laughs) Yeah, it it does look like that. There's there's like a sheet of uh, vinyl or latex over her chest, and then she's got some kind of skimpy undergarment below. Right, and like tubes coming out of her and everything. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, the boy is near her in a similar state, 
And she can hear the aliens talking, but their mouths don't move. She hears them in her head. And then one of them comes up to her, and he's inside her mind, stealing her memories and saying, this is for the good of your species. <laughs> and Mulder tells Scully that this is all consistent with a real alien abduction. And Scully says, look, it's too consistent. You know, it's like they read mm -hmm. it right out of an article. It's unbelievable. It's all, you know, all this has become part of the culture. <laughs> I really love this part. And it, it really is a comment on the whole idea of, you know, different people telling their different versions and everything. Because the, the, uh, the rowdy cop from earlier comes in and says, you really bleeped up this case. And he actually says bleeped. <laughs> and it turns out, that, <laughs> it turns out because Scully is retelling this to Jose Chung. So she's replacing all the swear words he uses with bleeped. Mm. And you actually see the actress saying that. And it's just really funny. <laughs> it also <laughs> reminds you that, yeah, if somebody's telling you what happened and, you know, changing what was said and all that. Oh, yeah. I think later he also says uh, blankety blank something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and blank hole and, you know, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> so this cop talks to Mulder and Scully, and he's really upset that they've kind of messed up the case, and he keeps using swear words, you know, to get censored that way. And now we switch inside the spaceship, and the boy is in a cage with the girl, and the cage is sparkling with electricity, and if you touch it, you know, it shocks you. And Chrissy's not responding. And nearby, there's a gray alien in a cage, and the guy asks him what it is he wants because he assumes the, you know, alien's part of the whole deal here. <laughs> it's just so funny. The only, the, the gray doesn't respond to him. He just starts smoking a cigarette. <laughs> just <laughs> <smoke coke. laughs> And then Chrissy wakes up. And again, I just love this. There's so much good stuff in this episode. And the boy promises he'll protect her. He'll never let anything happen to her. And of course, as soon as he's done saying that, she gets sucked up out of the cage. <laughs> and the boy is left whimpering. So his word wasn't worth a whole lot there. <laughs> nah. Well, they did, they did catch him by surprise, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, Mulder, you know, in the interrogation is asking what that gray in the cage was doing. You know, was he torturing you? What was he doing? And, and the boy says, no, he was just talking. And Mulder says, telepathically? <laughs> he says, no, in English. <laughs> he was just saying over and over, this is not happening. And we see the gray, like, you know, putting his head in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> and then the boy is sucked up out of the cage. And the next thing he remembers, he was outside flying through the air and when he came to, he immediately ran to Chrissy's house to make sure she was okay. So that's the scene we saw earlier. And Scully confronts him and asks that they engaged in consensual sexual intercourse that night. And it turns out they did before the abduction. And he's worried because if her father finds out, I'm a dead man. Hmm. So possible reason for this whole alien story. Who knows? And now we see Scully and Mulder discussing the case. The obscenity spewing cop bursts in and asks that they want to talk to a guy who says he saw everything. And this guy, his name is Roki. He was actually Rocky, like the, I think they pronounced Oh, you're right. I, I'm thinking Loki, right? So, yeah, it's Rocky. Uh, but it's spelled like R-O-K-I. No, it's R-O-K-Y, I think. Yeah, okay. And he was the guy in the basket that we saw at the very beginning of the show doing the electrical work. And he, immediately after things happened, he went home and spent like two or three days writing a manuscript of everything that had happened so he wouldn't forget it. And so he has this manuscript about this alien story, but he warns them if they read it, their lives are in danger because 
he just had this experience where he was in his garage. He like does his work in his garage. And this car suddenly drives into the garage. And the guy inside says, people mistake Venus for a flying saucer all the time. Now, did you recognize who the guy in the car was? I didn't. Uh, I liked the car a lot, though. It was really slick looking. So it was Jesse Ventura. <laughs> ah, Jesse the Mind Ventura. Yeah, he eventually right. Governor Ventura, I believe. Uh, and he actually does a really good job. Yeah, he is a wrestler. He was called Jesse the Body Ventura, but then when he became a governor, we started <laughs> calling him Jesse the Mind Ventura. Yeah, and, and he does a good job here because he's here to intimidate this guy. And he's like, you know, and he keeps talking about Venus and how people mistake things for Venus all the time. And, you know, that the, mm-hmm. your, and he also talks in a way that says he's not from Earth because he's always like, you know, your president, uh, Carter, you know, saw Alien, which is proven to be Venus and, and all this. So he keeps going on about <laughs> Venus. And, Rocky tells Mulder and Scully that they were all in black and Mulder sees this as proof that it's an abduction because, you know, there's this history of people in black showing up after an abduction to try and intimidate you. But Jose Chung, you know, we have all these layers of story, right? So (laughs) Scully is still telling all this to Jose Chung and Jose Chung points out to Scully that throughout history, societies have always had stories about men in black. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of part of the culture. And then uh, Rocky tells more about what Jesse Ventura told him. And Jesse Ventura insists if he doesn't change his story to to being that he saw Venus and he's going to be a dead man. And then the black car screeches out of the garage. (laughs) This is as good a point as any to mention that that you're a dead man. That comes back. You know, we already heard it when the kid was talking about if her dad finds out that Mm. we had sex. I'm a dead man, you know, so... Uh, and it'll come back a couple more times. There are, there are actually a few things that repeat over and over again throughout this episode uh, for for comic effect. It's uh, <laughs> good, good pretty point. entertaining. So Rocky now gives his manuscript to Mulder and Scully and says that they're never going to see him again. You know, he's going to pull a disappearing act. <laughs> Next, we see Mulder reading the manuscript aloud in a hotel room with Scully and it says that Rocky saw a third alien who attacked the two gray aliens. So that's what we saw in that first scene when that red alien came down. And Rocky then laid down in the truck cabin and a red ray appeared. And <laughs> that's really weird. And it's so clearly like unreliable narrator, right? Because now <laughs> this red monster alien who's clearly, you know, very unintelligent and blah, 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 whatever. He now comes up to the truck and he tells Rocky in this very flowery language. It's like out of Shakespeare. It's King James uh, language. I think, in fact, uh, he even says something that might be right out of the Bible. There's... Uh, like, be thou not afraid or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Although he gets some of it wrong, like uh, like he says showeth when that's not the right, you know. Like right. he's he's misusing the grammar, but that's that's Rocky doing that probably, not, uh, <laughs> not the alien. Yeah, and it turns out this alien is Lord Kimbote. <laughs> he takes Rocky to his residence in the Earth's inner core. So then we see Scully and Jose Chung discussing this, and <laughs> one of the things, again, I just loved is Chung says, yeah, I read his manuscript, and it's really weird that it was written in screenplay format. <laughs> so, 
And now in a hotel room, Scully confronts Mulder with how nuts Rocky's story is. And it's funny because Mulder says, oh, yeah, he's delusional, but he's delusional because of what happened to him that night. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> proof that it actually happened. And Mulder points out that Rocky's story matches up with the boy's story. And the only one that doesn't match up is the girl. And he's going to have her rehypnotized. And that's the first half of the episode. So the girl agrees to a second round of hypnosis. And this time she recalls men in Air Force uniforms. She was in a big room. Uh, there were Air Force men in there, and there was a doctor. And the doctor, ironically enough, was hypnotizing her, just like she's doing now. The officers who are present, they have some questions about the saucer that she can't answer, like, uh, where did the saucer go? <laughs> she doesn't know that, obviously. And the doctor tells her this is for the good of the country. And again, that's an echo of what the uh, what the alien told her in the first hypnosis mm -hmm. session was that uh, you know this is for the good of your species. So there's a chance that this is really perhaps she's remembering more clearly or or more truly what happened. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't be certain. But it's, <laughs> it may be maybe that. So at this point in her hypnosis session that's going on now, uh, she gets more agitated as she's telling about this because now the doctor was stealing her memories, which, again, was something she said about the alien. Mm, in the that's true, yep. I hadn't thought of that. You're right. I think this probably is the more realistic telling of her original story. Mm. And uh, afterwards, Scully and Mulder talk. Uh, Scully thinks Mulder was leading the girl with his questions, and she thinks the second session was less truthful than the first one, although, as we just discussed, this may have been more truthful. Mm -mm. Uh, Mulder disagrees, but he is starting to think that the case may not involve aliens. The cussing detective enters, and he says he just got a case involving a dead alien. So Chung, meanwhile, he's interviewing a nerdy guy, and this guy wants to be abducted. He's not satisfied with his life. You know, he thinks abduction would be uh, something different, I guess. So he was out at night searching for UFOs. He says he's read all the UFO books out there and so forth. And sure enough, he finds an alien corpse out in the woods. And then he has a regret because instead of just going back home for his video camera, which he probably should have brought along if he was out searching for UFOs, he instead notifies the authorities. And he regrets having done that. Mm -hmm. uh, because the police didn't show up alone. They showed up with the men in black. <laughs> but this time the men in black are Scully and Mulder. <laughs> he says Scully was disguised as a woman. And Mulder might have been an android. Right, and I think the funny thing here is he's, you know, when he says Scully was disguised as a woman, he's like, and it wasn't very convincing. And it's funny because Julian Anderson is a very good looking woman, but she also has kind of an unusual face. So, you know, <laughs> just sort of, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he says that her hair, her hair was red, but it was too red. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the source of his confusion there. Or maybe that's the secret of the X-Files. Maybe she really <laughs> isn't a woman. Anyway, Mulder, he says, might have been an android. He had a blank, expressionless face. And then didn't he say, like, mandroid? <laughs> it was kind of funny. Well, he might have. I didn't yeah. catch that if he did. 
So then they approach the alien corpse, and this is this is one of the funniest moments in the show for me. Uh, Mulder sees the corpse and he shrieks, and it's almost a Wilhelm scream. Yeah. <laughs> except <laughs> except about a half octave higher than that. <laughs> so then Scully tells the nerdy guy, uh, "You tell anyone you're a dead man." <laughs> so again, we get the "You're a dead man." refrain here and of course you know everything he's saying about scully and Mulder and this doesn't match their personalities at all and of course scully would not do this you know like it's a very clear like okay we don't need to believe this guy very much (laughs) (laughs) you know getting out of the flashback scully does deny to chung that, (laughs) that she said such a thing but they did uh they did allow the nerdy guy to come in to view the autopsy uh and he brought his video camera with him and they they let him keep it as they uh, dissected this alien. And we see a brief uh, cutaway where the, the footage of that autopsy somehow made it onto a cheesy VHS tape, which is hosted by the stupendous Yappy. And I have to think that is, uh, that is a little joke about the amazing Randy, who was uh, a famous skeptic for many, many years. Right. Yeah, and all, like all the names of all the characters in this are references to, you know, UFO people and all that. So it's all, all like that. But also, do you remember... Was it the 90s or early 2000s when there was that whole, oh, alien autopsy uh, viral video, essentially? (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I never saw it, but I remember hearing about it. (laughs) Yeah, alien autopsy. I believe that was uh, never proven to be true. I don't know anything more than that. In this case, the alien, it turns out, has two layers of epidermis. He's got skin under skin. And uh, his body also seems to contain a metal strip, which turns out to be a zipper. <laughs> yes, it's so, really funny because what Scully is saying this as she's doing the autopsy, right? Oh, two layers, and it all sounds very technical. And it's like, oh, it's a zipper. <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> yep, it's a costume with an ordinary human being inside. <laughs> yeah, they pull off the head, right? Yeah, or the head mask. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just sort of tear the mask away, and at this point, the nerd flees the room to go uh, up Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) So after the autopsy in the hall outside, uh, Scully tells Mulder that she's looked into it, and the corpse is an Air Force major, who is a a major is a fairly high rank in the military. Uh, It's, uh, I think it's, I think it's below a colonel, or maybe it's not, I don't know, it's, it's. It's higher than your ordinary average bear, at any rate. <laughs> As she's telling him this, three Air Force guys approach. And uh, they reveal that this corpse that they just found in the alien suit, he was AWOL, absent without leave. So, which is a big, it's a bad thing to do if you're in the military. <laughs> Scully and Mulder are holding the body because it's a possible kidnapping. So, I guess the feds have authority over that in a case like this. But Mulder says they can see the other guy they brought in, and I think he was just fishing for information here. I don't think they brought the other guy in because we'll meet the other guy a little later. He's just trying to find out find out whatever he can. And he points down the hall, and there's nobody there, and he says, oh, I guess he's still AWOL. <laughs> he was there just a couple minutes ago. So then they go into the autopsy room, and it turns out the body is also AWOL. Uh, <laughs> So we don't get an explanation for that. Yeah, it just disappears, yep. 
So then we see the, the nerdy guy is back at home. He's watching his videotape of the alien autopsy. And this is his raw videotape, not, not what ended up being released later by the stupendous yappy. Uh, and men in black show up, two <laughs> of them. Jesse the Mind Ventura takes the tape out of the VCR, and he throws the nerd to the floor, which knocks him unconscious. He comes to when Mulder slaps him. Uh, Mulder has come for the tape, and the nerd says, the other men in black took it. <laughs> and Mulder says, if you're lying to me, you're a dead man. Chung, we, we go to Chung, who interviewing the nerdy guy, and Chung says, aren't you nervous telling me all this, you know, with these different men in black after you? And the nerd says, I didn't spend all those years playing Dungeons and Dragons and not learn a little something <laughs> about courage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the spirit. Mulder's returning to the hotel uh, after the uh, autopsy, and he nearly hits a naked man in the road, uh, who turns out to be the missing AWOL lieutenant. And this man, when Mulder rolls down his window, this man just says, this is not happening. This is not happening. Right, which is the same phrase that was said earlier, yep. So then we're in a diner, and... Uh, Mulder and uh, this lieutenant are talking there. The lieutenant looks really, uh, really out of it. He's got a plate of food in front of him, and he's got mashed potatoes there, and he's sculpting them with his fork, which is another callback to Close Encounters of the Third <laughs> Kind. Uh, mm. uh, I think it was Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus's character uh, did the same thing in that movie. Anyway, he, he tells Mulder, and I'm not sure why he's speaking so freely about what is clearly very top-secret, confidential stuff, perhaps because of his own shock uh, at whatever has happened to him, or perhaps he's fed up with the whole business. It's never made clear to us, but he's, he's talking to Mulder very freely about it. He says he's a pilot, and he's flown saucers, Air Force saucers, and after flying a saucer, sex seems trite. <laughs> so it's pretty good if you're a pilot anyway. Mm -hmm. He says the abductees are taken to the base where the doctors mess with their minds. And this actually is very close to the, what, the story we got from Chrissy in the second hypnosis session. Could be somehow related to the truth. He says that these abductees, when they come out after the doctors have had their way with them, they come out absolutely positive that they were probed by aliens. Mulder asks, then what were you abducted by? And the lieutenant says, I'm absolutely positive. Me, my co-pilot, and those two kids were abducted. But it seems like he might, he might be aware that he just said absolutely positive when he was talking about the people the Air Force abducted. Um, because he goes on to say that he's not sure of anything anymore. <laughs> uh, he's not even sure whether he and Mulder are talking. He's not sure if his mashed potatoes are really there. He's not sure if Mulder's really there. He's not even sure if he's really there. <laughs> and as he's saying this, the three Air Force guys enter, who we previously saw at the hospital. Mulder has time for one last question, which is about that third alien, the red one. And the lieutenant says, who, Lord Kinboat? <laughs> but he's taken away by the Air Force guys before he can say more. <laughs> so we go back to uh, Chung talking with Scully. And Chung has a little bit of insight, or at least some story to tell. Uh, he's been eating at this diner all the time while he's been in town researching the book. 
uh, and he got to know the cook pretty well. And the cook told him a story about that very night. Uh, Mulder came in alone, and even he showed his FBI ID so we can be certain that the cook was talking about the same guy. He entered alone. Well, it, we can't be certain, but, uh, you know, it's, it seems the cook is talking about Mulder. Mm -hmm. He ate a whole sweet potato pie, piece by piece. He'd order a piece. He'd ask a question to the cook, various UFO-related stuff. Have you seen a UFO? Do you have any spare pieces of metal implanted in your body? Stuff like that. <laughs> For each piece of pie, he asks a question, and he eats a whole pie, and the cook doesn't have any useful information for him. Uh, and then Mulder left, again, alone. And the cook didn't mention having seen the lieutenant or the three guys who came in after him. So Mulder finally got to return to his hotel. He visited Scully's room. And inside, there were two men in black. Scully wasn't in there. They were just two men in black searching the place. One says uh, that she's out getting ice. And sure enough, she returns just a moment later, carrying an ice bucket. And she acts as though nothing is wrong, as though it's the most normal thing in the world for these guys to be uh, rummaging through her stuff. The man in black tells Mulder that the government sometimes fakes abductions that discredit the stories of others. <laughs> Mulder says, well, the same is said about the men in black. Jesse Ventura replies... I see no reason anyone would think you're crazy for describing our meeting. Hmm. Uh, but then the other man in black comes up and tells him he's feeling very sleepy. And it turns out this is Alex Trebek of Jeopardy. <laughs> I believe it's the, the late Alex Trebek hmm. now, but uh, for many years a beloved host of uh, Jeopardy. Hmm. And uh, Scully tells Chung, or it was someone who looked incredibly like him. <laughs> but she she didn't actually see him, and she has no recollection of all that. She's just recounting what Mulder told mm -hmm. her. And the next morning, Mulder was asleep in her room. And uh, Chung kind of raises his eyebrows at that. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't in the bed with her. He was over on the floor or something. The phone rang not long after uh, Mulder woke up. The t detective says that they found the bleeping UFO. <laughs> so they get there, and it turns out it's a crashed experimental plane. A relatively small, little fighter jet-sized uh, plane that's all bashed up. But Mulder thinks that this crash site was actually set up to establish the Air Force's alibi so that Scully and Mulder would be the witnesses for it. And they see two men carrying away a corpse, carrying it away from the crash on a stretcher. And this is, I think, now I, I didn't get a long enough look to recognize for sure, but I think this is one of the officers that was involved, either the guy from the, who was in the suit or the guy who went to the diner. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's one of them. Scully says the story probably doesn't have the closure that Chung would like. Um, but there is more than some other cases, mm -hmm. which is uh, what what I had heard about the show, as I mentioned earlier. Um, although I think I think nowadays I would find that less frustrating than I would have, <laughs> you know, in in my well, let's see, twenties. It would have been in my twenties when this mm -hmm. broadcast. So <laughs> quite a while ago now. Later, Chung is alone typing in his office, uh, and he has a glass paneled door. 
and there's a shadow that appears outside of it. So he pulls out a gun, but it turns out the shadow's just Mulder, and uh, it looks like a janitor let him into the building. Uh, and I was trying to figure out if the janitor was... The janitor reminded me of the guy who was performing the hypnosis on mm-hmm. Chrissy, and I'm not sure if it was or if there was supposed to be any significance there or if I was just grasping at uh, possible Unfortunately, I didn't things. notice, so it's quite possible, though. <laughs> uh, Mulder urges Chung not to write the book because, you know, he, he's got sympathy for these people who get abducted or claim they got abducted. If Chung goes through with this book, he's a he's a well-known, well-respected author, and this book, he feels, is going to make these abductees and other UFO believers appear foolish. And he goes on to say that, that Chung's publisher is part of the military-industrial entertainment complex, <laughs> which I uh, rather strongly believe in after the last few years. <laughs> Chung says the book will be written, but it will benefit if you can explain what happened to those kids. And Mulder replies, how the hell should I know? (laughs) And I didn't realize it, I didn't remember it, but when you brought it up again, that, of course, is what the aliens say to each other when Lord Kinboat first shows up in the opening scene. Mm. How the hell should I know? (laughs) (laughs) So then we finish off the show with a voiceover by Chung. This sounds like it could be maybe his afterword or the last page of his book that he was writing. Um, he tells us that the nerdy guy, the, the guy who learned courage from Dungeons & Dragons, the nerdy guy went on to become a lineman, so he, uh, he now has his very own cherry picker and very hmm. own bucket. Rocky became a guru. Uh, hmm. I think he said he moved out to California or, <laughs> I don't know, Sedona or someplace like that. But now he preaches enlightenment by sending your spirit deeper and deeper towards the core of the earth. Of course, uh, you can reach the core of the earth and, and gain enlightenment, but only if the lava men don't get you. <laughs> Lord Kinboat looked like a lava man, so it's not clear <laughs> if he's uh, mm-hmm. uh, he might be a rogue lava man who's actually one of the enlightened or something, I don't know. Yeah, I think probably all in all, that's the main question I'd like to have answered out of this uh, episode is uh, more about, I'd like to know more about Lord Kimboat. <laughs> <laughs> so Chung goes on to say that Lesky, which is his uh, barely concealed name for Scully, is just basically a rearranging of the letters. He says she's pure of heart, but she's she's still working for the feds. On the other hand, Muldrake is a ticking time bomb of insanity. <laughs> Mulder really made a bad impression on him, mm-hmm. I guess. He goes on to talk about Chrissy, and she has gone on to devote herself to improving the world. And we see her looking at a website on her monitor, which, uh, considering this is 1996, this is very contemporary because mm-hmm. as i remember it most folks didn't have internet access until windows 95 came out so she's she's already using the world wide web and she's got a site up that looks like a knockoff of greenpeace you know mm-hmm. so that's something like that is what she's into now and there's a tap on her window a small pebble hitting it and it's it's that guy again that she went out on the date with and got <laughs> abducted by Aliens or possibly the Air Force, uh, probably the Air Force, I think. He uh, he says he still loves her, and she just says, 
love. Is that all you men think about? <laughs> Which I thought was amusing because usually women will accuse men of only thinking about sex. Mm. So little little switcheroo there. And she shuts her window, goes back to her computer, and he walks off into the night. Charlie ends his voice over by saying, Although we may not be alone in the universe, in our own separate ways on this planet, we are all alone. Mm. And that's the end of the show, and we get the eerie X-Files theme music. Do, 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 do. Uh, but I wanted to mention that thing he says at the end there. What Chung says at the end is very similar to uh, a line from Heart of Darkness, uh, which is, we live as we dream, alone. Hmm. So, I don't know, it's very... Uh, I, I could see them possibly drawing on that as a, an inspiration. But uh, Anyway, that that's the end of the show. Uh, and uh, kind of a... Uh, hmm. That's a sober ending to a very amusing <laughs> show. <laughs> well, so just for the show itself, in terms of acting, writing, and all that, what what's your overall reaction? Oh, I uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. It uh, kind of makes me want to watch more X Files. Although I know the 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 humor isn't going to be a consistent i mean i imagine most episodes probably have some humor in them but from what i read about this episode after watching it i i get the impression that this is specifically a comedy episode that the show had some some episodes like that and that you know it's not it's not their usual fare right, right. but uh, but i i really i really got a kick out of it Good recommendation on your part. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there's just all these funny little bits like when the gray aliens start talking like humans and, <laughs> and smoking and all that. And, <laughs> and you know, yeah, I think it, and Chris Carter, you know, who created the show said that the writer of this um, it was just is just like a, you know, one in a million gem. Like there just aren't many people who can do what he does. And, you know, I think it, it really does sort of shine throughout the episode, and it's a lot of fun. And I would say, you know, so last time we watched The Usual Suspects, and that absolutely was about what's true and what's not true and telling a story. So in that way, mm. it tied into Rashomon. But this is much more of a direct Rashomon takeoff, right? You have different people with different versions of what happened and you're not oh, yeah. told what the correct version is, so you have to decide for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I was thinking there wasn't any obvious references to Rashomon, uh, although you did mention that the staging mm -hmm. of the uh, the hypnosis session, I think it was, was, was similar to the court scene in Rashomon and that, that hadn't uh, occurred to me at all, but it's certainly a possible connection there. So yeah, this uh, this is certainly a lot more like that, and I think we may be able to know a little more of the truth than Rashomon. Well, not <laughs> no, that's a strong word, but uh, I get the impression that there really is something to the, uh, to the Air Force snatching mm -hmm. these people up, you know, and uh, playing mind games with them because, you know, there's a couple things that seem corrobor corroborated by multiple mm -hmm. people. You know, the girl's second hypnosis 
session, and then the uh, lieutenant, what he said to uh, Mulder, although then again, did the lieutenant say anything to Mulder because the cook said that Mulder went in there alone. So, mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, and you have the question of Lord Cambode because he shows up multiple times and would be the actual alien, right, if he really existed. And mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think there's, I mean, other than the clearly kind of fake story about him doing the, you know, Shakespearean dialogue and everything, you know, it's possible he existed. So it is possible that an actual alien showed up <laughs> for the fake alien <laughs> uh, invasion. It's possible. And uh, certainly whatever happened, something happened that was drastic, drastic enough to send Rocky running across the country. So, Or maybe he had just been planning on doing that all along. Maybe he was <laughs> taking his screenplay out to Hollywood. Uh, yeah. There's not a lot we can really be sure of, but I, I think uh, I think the uh, Air Force uh, was behind it all. <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, I guess we didn't officially say, although it's kind of obvious, uh, is, is it worth watching for a, a modern audience? Oh yeah, I I really enjoyed it too. It's it's funny. It's uh, and it's it's not long. I think it's like forty four minutes, mm-hmm. maybe. It's, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, it's, we're going longer nice. in the podcast than the shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done that before. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was uh, really entertaining. I I liked it a lot. It it made me want to see more X Files. So I can't can't praise it more highly than that. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, next up, we're going to check out a movie from the same year as this episode, Courage Under Fire, with Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan. I have not seen this movie. Um, have you? Neither have I. Nope. Okay, never, well, never, I've, I've heard of it, I think, but I've never, never seen it. So we shall see what we think. We'll see you next week. this.